0: That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know.
1: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Volkbaum. And uh, I see a, on the book of faces that our good friend Justin has left a suggestion.
2: Uh, yes. He said, you mentioned them in your predictions episode, but could you do an episode on FMV games? I think it would be a lot of fun.
0: So FMV, that stands for... Uh... Full Motion Video. Oh, right. Right. Those games. Fantastic. Well, in order to understand what Full Motion Video is all about and the role that they Played in video games, it would probably benefit us to just do a quick overview of the different types of graphics we saw, particularly in early video games. So, if you were talking about the earliest of computer games, you were limited to either text adventures like Zork, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. or vector graphics, 2D vector graphics games, uh, which would be more like asteroids. So, if you ever played the old asteroids uh, arcade game, Everything with these, these very simple shapes. Yeah,
2: you're talking about dots or lines.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what vector graphics are. They're based on geometry. You define endpoints and then you have little lines uh, drawn between those endpoints. So it's kind of like, think of it like, uh, uh, you know, connect the dots. That's essentially what you're talking about, but in, an, in a, in a graphics format. So it's pixels instead of, you know, a, a solid black line from a, Pencil or something.
2: Uh, sure. And all of that being less graphically impressive, perhaps, than things like in the case of Zork, you know, your uh, rich imagination opening entire star fields for you. Right. You could have uh, any
0: sort of description in a text based one. And, and technically, the graphics are only limited by your imagination, I guess. Uh, but vector graphics, you know, they, they have their their charms. Uh, the old yeah. the old Star Wars uh, arcade game where mm-hmm. you, you had little vector graphics tie fighters coming at you still one of my favorite arcade games of all time and it also had the benefit of not taking up too much processing power it didn't require a you know a chunky graphics card in order for it to produce these pretty simple graphics
2: uh, well that's the whole thing with graphics is that they take so much disk space and processing power and that is a problem that some of these fmv games that we are going to start talking about ran into really hard
0: yeah really really hard so so next we have sprites. Right. So sprites, of course, uh, not a type of soft drink in this case.
2: No, also not a whimsical mythological creature.
0: No, though a sprite could be a whimsical mythological creature within the context of a video game. But you could have a
2: sprite of a sprite. Yes,
0: exactly. You could have a sprite of a sprite. So it's a two dimensional animation that's integrated into a larger scene that can move around that larger scene completely independently. And it doesn't Require you to re-render that background. So I think of this kind of like a um, like a, a a play because I'm a theater geek. <laughs> but if you think of a play, you know, like you have a play with a set, mm-hmm. and the actors can move all around that set. The and set th-
2: doesn't move. The set doesn't move. The Usually, unless
0: something kind of terrible has gone right. on. In that case, that's an exception. But. In, in an ideal situation, when it's not supposed to move, it stays put.
2: Uh, you could also think of it as maybe like a magnet on a fridge yeah, or, uh, or a color form.
0: Yeah, exactly. You can move this, this one independent piece around without affecting everything else. Uh, and that meant that you only had to render the background the one time. And then the little 2D animated character, that's the only thing you're really concentrating on. So it didn't require too much processing power to develop once we started getting into that.
2: Uh, Although the early ones were limited as to the number of sprites that could be processed on screen at the same time. Uh, You have in here the Atari 2600 only had five.
0: Yeah, five moving graphical objects on screen at a time. So if you're thinking of like, I don't know, Donkey Kong Jr. and you're playing as the main character, you know, in the arcade version, you had all these little bitty uh, 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 platforms that could go up and down and things like that. Or monsters that could grab you, and there really wasn't too much of a limit because the hardware there was, it was just huge. Yeah, and it was just meant to play that game. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, which had much more strict limitations on what the processor could do, you had at most five moving graphical objects on screen at any given time. Uh, one of the examples we could give of that, besides the one I just mentioned, is Super Mario Brothers, a Nintendo game. Now that that one had obviously uh, greater uh, capacity for moving objects. It wasn't limited to the Atari 2600 model, but that is another example of a video game that used sprites. Now there is one other type that I'm, I can mention really quickly, which are video games that use three-dimensional models. But that goes that's that's after full-motion video. Yes. So uh, three-dimensional models very common today, but we're not going to talk about that because we're really focusing on FMVs. So, what is it? It's when you have recorded up some sort of video, whether it is live action, it can be animated, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is uh, recorded and plays back as part of the the video game experience. Some people refer to games that were really, really super heavy on FMV as interactive movies. Ah, mm-hmm. Because here's the thing, if I record something ahead of time and then I present it to somebody, that person's not going to have a whole lot of say in what happens.
2: Uh, yeah, you've got a limited amount of interactivity that can happen when, right, it's already. It's already done. On.
0: Yeah, exactly. So if I were to uh, have a, a kind of a choose your own adventure game, let's say it that way, because that's a that's a perfect example of oh, something sure. that would work with this. Mm-hmm. But choose your own adventure books. Same sort of thing, right? You're limited to the choices that the book lays out and you're limited to the to the consequences which for me invariably involved dying. Uh, <laughs> I had to hold my finger back on a previous page and say, all right, I want to try a different way now.
2: Oh, I have a whole series of bookmarks whenever I have a Choose You an Adventure book. I, yeah. I, I always
0: resented, I resented the ones where you would get to the point where you either choice that you had, presented to you would result in your death. And you think, like, no, now I have to go back two spots.
2: Oh, no, that's my favorite. It's it's the branching thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's what a full motion video game, I mean, like a serious FMV video game was like.
2: Uh, right. And I think that when most people think of full motion video games, they are thinking of live action video. Yeah, but but some of them, as we will discuss...
0: Yeah, are actually, in fact, the earliest uh, ones... Well, not the earliest, but some of the earliest ones really had a lot of animation involved.
2: In. Uh, yeah, and most of these games use optical disc technology, yes. either CDs or laser discs. And uh, and although I think the, the production on laser discs, the research for it at any rate, went back to the 1950s, yep. they weren't really a commercial format until the 1970s. Right. Uh, and even then, they weren't really very much of a commercial format. Well,
0: I mean, even... Even in the 1980s when you started to really get into the home theater world, Laserdisc was one of those things that that cool person with way more money than you had, uh, they uh-huh. owned one, but you did not. <laughs> um, I mean, I remember going to, to parties, uh, with, with my family and my parents would take me to some party with some other science fiction or fantasy authors throwing a weird bash and they happened to have a Laserdisc and they would put on, um, a Laserdisc of one of these full motion video games where it would just play out the game, as if you were um, making all the right choices so that you could actually see it from start to finish. And you really did watch it like a movie. It wasn't even interactive at that point. It was just a movie. And then at the end, it would show you all the wrong choices and all the consequences thereof. <laughs> hmm. But um, anyway, the the effect of FMV was really impressive because it allowed for much, much more uh, intense, realistic graphics. Sometimes, like we said, live action video, which was A huge difference from the the -the state-of-the-art in vector and sprite graphics. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you were to go into a a video game like Arcade, we used to have those back in the day, kids. If you were to go into an Arcade and you saw something like Pac-Man, which would look impressive next to something like Asteroids. Sure. But then you saw Dragon's Lair. You'd think, this game must come from the future. Because look at it compared to these other games. I need to put my quarters in that thing. Even though it's twice as many quarters as any of the other machines in this room. So yeah, uh, the, but the idea here is that, that not only did we have this incredible graphical, uh, interface, this, this, this gorgeous display of whether it was video or, or, you know, live video or animation. It also meant that, like we said, you had that, uh, you had to give up some interactivity. And so there was this, constant battle between what is what's the right balance where should we have an interactive element versus a uh a, you know a really dramatic element we'll be talking about that throughout the rest of this oh, show Oh sure
2: and and creating game design around that sort of problem is probably tricky for the for the best of game designers and I'm not going to say for the record that all of the best game designers were always working on these problems it, yeah. it's a it's a hard thing and also uh, game designers perhaps are not known for their video production quality
0: Yes that's also a, an important thing to remember that you know someone who can make a good game May not be someone who can direct a compelling sequence, mm-hmm. right? So that, that's um, hard, y'all. Yeah, especially if you're talking about using live actors. Who mm-hmm. you know, the nice thing about animated characters, if you don't like their performance, you can throw them away. Ha! Huh. That's what uh, uh-huh. that's, that's paraphrasing what Hitchcock said about Disney. So Disney was fortunate that if he was displeased with the performance, he could just crumple it up and throw it away. Whereas Hitchcock was somewhat limited by the law on
2: what well, he could do. Yeah, it's, I, I, I think he did a little bit of that here and there anyway. but yeah,
0: Certainly psychologically, mm-hmm. but that's a totally different episode. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I can't fly without my portable chargers and noise-canceling headphones keeping me immersed, and I'd be lost without my smartphone. In a new place, it's my connection to the familiar. I rely on it to get directions around town, I use my smartphone to look up things to do or, most importantly, where to eat. In countries where I don't speak the language, my phone becomes a universal translator. And heck, it can double as a digital camera, giving me the opportunity to snap unforgettable pictures of the sights that inspire me and fill me with joy. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. A spirit of adventure lives inside of us. Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to transform your spirit of adventure into actual rubber-meets-the-road into the wild, true-blue-real-life adventure. You just need a Nissan and a plan. Or better yet, just a Nissan. You can hop into a Nissan Rogue and discover what comes next. Don't worry, the Nissan Rogue has your back. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Just climb in and go. No need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the new 2024 Nissan Rogue. No matter where you roam, you'll stay connected to home. Life is one huge adventure, and every day is a little one. No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. So we're going to talk now. <laughs> sure, if that's
2: a tech stuff episode at Probably all.
0: Probably <laughs> not. We can talk about uh some actual examples, yes. including the earliest one I could find. Now, I'm not saying this is the first FMV, let's call it video amusement, because that's what they refer to it as, or, or at least one of the um, historical sites I visited refers to it as a video amusement. You wouldn't really call it a game necessarily, uh, but it was came out at toward the end of 1981 or the beginning of 1982, and it's called... Quarter horse. Quarter horse? Quarter horse.
2: Because you give it quarters?
0: Yeah, that'd be part of it, but it's also because it would be a quarter horse race. So it was a horse race game. Okay. So imagine that you walk up to an arcade. It's got uh, two screens on it. One screen has like the video betting stuff on it, and it gives you like the odds of all the different horses that are going to run in the next race. And so you can choose which horse you want to bet on. You can put how many credits you bet on that particular horse. And then once you're ready to go, you place the bet, and then you hear that da 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 And they show the video of an actual horse race that happened in the past. And then one of the horses wins, and you find out whether or not one of the horses you you bet on won. And if you did win, you get more credits. I don't know that it actually paid out, so I don't know if you ever could re- like win money off this thing, or if it was simply credits that you could play with. So in other words, you just keep playing the game until you're out of credits.
2: I'm I'm not sure if amusement is the correct word to attach to video yeah, in, in this case. I think, I, I think it's a video something.
0: Yeah, something. I so, mean,
2: maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm sure.
0: Yeah, sh- exactly. So you might first say, well, wait a minute. If it's if it's video of an actual horse race. How do you not know which horse wins? And the way that works out is that they would assign different names to the horses that were in the race. So and it would change each time. OK, so so you wouldn't know that, you know, the horse with the jockey on it that's, you know, wearing the, the little red outfit. You wouldn't know what his name was So unless
2: you're a very serious horse race aficionado. You wouldn't, um,
0: it wouldn't even matter. I mean, it would all be based on the odds because the, the way this game was supposed to work was it would actually look at the odds for any given horse, simulate a race and then say, all right, here's who won. And sometimes the long shot wins. You know that's the funny thing about statistics.
2: Okay, all right. So so it's not it's not whoever won literally in the video. Right. It's okay. It's yeah, an algorithm in the. Okay, yeah, exactly, I
0: it. exactly. So that like you know the the horses' identities were. In fact, the video was superfluous. The video doesn't matter. Really, what you're doing is you're betting on statistics. So you're you're kind of betting on a on a random roll of the dice in a in a sense. And you say, I bet that the dice are going to come up like this, which You know, it sounds kind of crazy when you first describe it like that, except you realize that the game Craps is all about that very concept. (laughs) Right. So at any rate, this was the first example I could find of a video amusement using FMV. The next one is probably the most famous FMV. I've already referred to it once in this podcast.
2: Uh, Yeah, it came out in 1983, and it is Dragon's Lair.
0: Yeah, Dragon's Lair from Cinematronics. Uh now this was created with animation from Don Bluth who was a former Disney animator. Right. I want to say Oliver and Company was one of his but he also did the uh Fievel movies, the Fievel ah. goes West. Um oh, and that's right. yeah. Secrets of Nim I think as well. Mm-hmm. So he he was uh, the guy who did all the animation for this. You play as Dirk the Daring, a knight in shining armor. Uh and you're rescuing the princess Daphne. Who is in a teeny tiny little outfit? This, like you do. This this game probably didn't do a whole lot for you know the portrayal Feminist the movement. portrayal of women in video games. Yeah, I,
2: I think several of the things on our list didn't do a whole lot. No, for, yeah,
0: we're gonna cover some more that are a little. To varying degrees of being upsetting. Oh, but, the 1980s. And
2: 90s. And 2000s. <laughs> yeah,
0: and today. So anyway, uh, yeah, this, this gameplay was limited to a joystick and button where you would have prompts on the screen and you would have to hit the joystick in the right direction or press the button at the right time in order for you to progress in the story. So you can think of it in a sense as every little segment is a chapter break on like, you know, a DVD. And this is a Laserdisc game. It was on Laserdisc. And if you hit the right button on your, on your remote control, on your DVD player, you get to watch the next part of the movie. And if you hit the wrong button, it stops. That's essentially what this was, except that the, you know, you had four buttons as in the four directions of your joystick Uh and then the actual button button. So five buttons total. Exciting stuff, right? And, um, I've actually seen some versions of this where they had the prompts turned off. So you had to have memorized it.
2: Oh, my goodness. Yeah,
0: totally not fair. I don't know how you can just watch something with no prompts and say, oh, I bet I'm supposed to hit left right now. <laughs> um, but anyway, that was the basics for Dragon's Lair. Uh, and again, you could only do the actions when the prompts came up. You couldn't swing your sword at any given time. You couldn't make Dirk run to the left or run to the right because all of that had already been animated. So you can't You can't control something that's already been set down.
2: Uh, However, it did allow those graphics, as you said before, to be very impressive for the time.
0: Yeah. And the story itself was, you know, this kind of cutesy fantasy story. So it had a lot of appeal. Mm -hmm. And it certainly was one of those things that if you saw someone who was really good at this, like they had memorized the sequence and they were they were able to get really far. It was entertaining to watch. Uh, I, you know, I could never get past a single screen in this game, so I never really got into it. (laughs) Uh, but then I was also fairly young back in 1983. It did happen once upon a time, folks. Now,
2: you being young. Yes. yes. Uh, also in 1983, Bally NFL football came out.
0: Yep. Same thing as, you uh, know, uh, in, a, in a sense as the horse racing game in that they took footage from an actual football game, uh, Raiders versus Chargers. And that was what you got to watch uh, as plays were carried out. And you played the part of a coach. So in other words, you're not controlling any football players, uh, but based upon where your team is, like whether they're on offense or defense.
2: Uh, you would pick the plays that yeah. they would do next.
0: Exactly. So you would say, all right, well, based upon this position and based upon the players I have, I want this play to come next. And then you choose the play and then you'd get a little video of one of the plays being carried out. And then you. You'd would, have
2: another choice to make afterwards. Yeah.
0: yeah. Either, either you continue or, you know, there might be a turnover or whatever. But, uh, there were something like 800 different video combinations for the whole game because they used all these different film segments that could be interchanged based upon whichever play you had selected. And then it would show you the, the right, uh, the right video play. And it was also supposed to really take into account statistics as well. So in other words, you couldn't just memorize a working strategy and Uh play it and, and impress all your friends, say, watch this, and then you just do the exact Because if you did the exact same pathway, you might have Sometimes slightly different it results. Sometimes it would, right, sure. Yeah.
2: Um, also, these early ones were not on optical disk
0: technology, were they? This one in particular was not. The uh Dragon's Lair was on a laser disk, but okay. but it, Bally NFL was on a video disk, uh, also known as a capacitance electronic disk, or CED. Now, these used a needle to read them they actually were grooved like like a, a like a vinyl record like a vinyl record ask your parents actually those are back now aren't they
2: They are they are okay all, all the hipster kids like them yeah
0: all right yeah, that's fair i i never stopped liking them that makes me even more hipster <laughs> oh um, yeah or you just, liked, or you just liked them before
2: they were cool Yeah,
0: <laughs> but i liked them when they were cool and then when they weren't cool and when they were cool again uh, but a capacitance electronic disc, I also had one of those, or my family did when I was a kid. Uh, we had one that was a video player. It Wasn't a video game, just a video player. Uh, and I remember we had Singing in the Rain and Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark as two of the movies that would play on this thing. Um, again, very similar to Laserdisc in the sense that whatever's on the disc obviously can't change. It's right. read only. So it was, uh, it was a different way of achieving the same goal. Then in 1984 we get Space Ace.
2: Ah, uh, that was another Don Bluth game.
0: Yeah, another Cinematronic Don Bluth game. You played as Ace, who uh, at the beginning of the game, before anything bad happens, is a big old brawny, you know, Flash Gordon style space faring adventurer type. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a bad guy named Commander Borf. Borf. Borf, who uh, shoots him with a an infanto ray. And turns him into a a uh, adolescent, a squeaky-voiced, scrawny adolescent. And um,
2: then he has to go rescue his girlfriend.
0: Yes. And occasionally he could transform back, at least briefly, into Ace. This one actually had some uh, interesting inner activity in the sense that you could choose to become Ace and then move through a level, or you could choose to remain the scrawny guy and move through a level. But depending upon whether you were Ace or the scrawny guy... You had very different strategies, uh, strategies in the sense of you know, what prompts you hit when. But Ace obviously would charge headlong into danger, whereas the the scrawny version of him would have to, to
2: figure out ways around. Yeah, sure. exactly.
0: But uh, again, you were limited to whatever had been pre-recorded, just like the other versions. Uh, it was faster paced than Dragon's Lair. So a lot of people said it was uh, even more challenging since I never got anywhere with Dragon's Lair. I didn't even bother with Space Ace, but I, I, <laughs> I admired the animation. And then... Uh, the next one I have for 1984 is one I never saw. I didn't even know it existed until I looked into it on, uh, online and, uh, I tried watching a video of it and it was baffling. It's called Badlands.
2: Uh, this one was from Konami.
0: Yep. And it's Western themed, as you would imagine, with that title. Uh, you played as Buck, who was a cowboy whose, uh, family had been murdered by bad guys. So you're on a, a revenge mission. Uh, and and it was done in a style that looked very much like um, uh, anime. You know, uh, back when I was uh, when I would have played this, uh, it would have been an interesting uh, experience at a science fiction convention because I could see this fitting right next to the anime room. Sure. Uh, it is so evocative of that style. But uh, it had a single control, which was a giant button. <laughs> Just the one. Just one button. And you had to hit that button exactly when you needed to. And
2: this one didn't have prompts in it, no. right?
0: No, you just had to know when to hit it. And if you hit it too early, you died. And if you hit it too late, you died. If you didn't hit it at all, you died. That,
2: that sounds okay.
0: Yeah. So it was a weird, you know, like, like if you faced off against a gunfighter and the gunfighter hadn't started to draw yet and you fired your gun, you, the game would, you would lose a life because you had, uh, broken the law. You could only fire after they had started to draw, but before they pulled the trigger. So it was that really, you know, delicate timing that you had to have. And again, it was just the one button. So no joystick or anything on this thing. Uh, I've watched some playthroughs of it, and I couldn't tell what was going on, because it looked like there was no transition between one scene and the next. There was a, a moment, literally, the guy was in the street in an old western town. He uh, shoots just in time to avoid... Getting hit by a guy who's up on a on a, like on a second story floor shooting uh-huh. through a window, and then the next sequence he's riding through the desert on a horse uh, and avoiding rattlesnakes, and there was no transition between the two. Like there's no
2: just shoot a guy riding on a horse. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like now the town is no longer there. <laughs> He's just in the middle of the desert. And I can't tell if that was just uh, the way the video had been edited or if that, in fact, was, was the game.
2: a foray into surrealism. Exactly. That, yeah, yeah. Like,
0: like, well, you know what? Life is weird. And sometimes you can't explain There's causality is not necessarily at at play in this universe.
2: Sometimes towns turn
0: into snakes. That's true. Sometimes they do. Warning for all of you. Just words of wisdom to live by. Uh, other games that came out in 1984, you've got uh, Ninja Hayatai which I could be completely wrong in the pronunciation of that. Uh, Esh's Aron <laughs> Cobra Command, that one's way easier. Hey, you got, yeah, that, got one. that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Thayer's Quest. Uh, and all of them were essentially interactive animated movies. Uh, Cobra Command was interesting. It was a helicopter game, and it actually had vector graphics on top of the video that you were watching. Oh, where you cool. C- yeah, you know, the little vector graphics crosshairs that you could actually move around the screen, which was way more interactive than some of these other games. I mean you were still like, you know, the the enemies could only come at you from preordained uh spots. Uh, but I mean, I
2: suppose technically
0: it's not that different from it's
2: not. The, right. Yeah. You know, from, an video from an actual algorithm that's building it as you go. Yeah.
0: Sure. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of video games, like especially classic video games, rely on patterns. And if you recognize the patterns, then you can be really good at those games. Uh, I mean, right.
2: Yeah. And Super Mario Brothers, those Goombas only come when those Goombas are going to come. Exactly. They, they never
0: come differently. Donkey Kong, same thing. You know, all those sort of things where you you once you recognize the pattern, you can start to uh Exploit's probably the wrong word, but you can you can anticipate and react and, and make sure that you are in the right position all the time. Um but it was interesting that it had a little more interactivity. Then there was Casino Strip, which was a card game with live action video segments of various quote unquote strippers who would shed clothing as you played. Don't know how far this game would go. I mean, this is an arcade game, folks. This is not. Oh, wow. We're, I'm not talking about a computer game. This was a cabinet that had two monitors. One monitor is your card hand and the other monitor, which is above the first one. So it's oh, on of full display. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So you have the live action models up there. Uh, I would imagine since this would probably be in some sp- semi public venue that maybe it didn't get any more racy than say underclothes.
2: Uh sure, sure. Or or you know, possibly even that it was sold mostly to say casinos or some other adult yeah. entertainment venues. Yeah,
0: I don't know. Uh if you if you in fact have played casino strip or own one, you can let us know how far did this thing go. I honestly did not want to research further because I was at work. <laughs> and there's, there are limitations that I have upon me, that I place upon myself, I should say.
2: Uh, yeah, no, I, although if you look at any of our search histories, I'm sure that, um.
0: Yeah, I, there, I don't think any of us come out squeaky clean. Yeah. Just based upon the stuff we talk about.
2: I mean, certainly Robert and Julie are probably in a lot of trouble somewhere. Yeah.
0: No, they, they lead the way. They do. So, 1984, 1983, 1984, that was kind of like the first rush of FMV games. But after that, it started to die down a little bit, partly because these things are really hard to make. I mean, it, it's a lot of pre-production to get all the different sequences and then to lay it out so that it actually becomes a game. It's You know, you would think that being able to build a video game with all those assets. And uh, not
2: having to program in the, the to code in the animation right. for it, everything that needed to happen would be a shortcut, but, but it's no, not. No. not at all. It's
0: a lot of production. Anyone who's ever done any production... Animation obviously takes a really long time because it's a very oh, arduous pro- process. Yeah. But Lauren and I can tell you from shooting video that a video you see online that may take two, three minutes can sometimes be 45 minutes to an hour to, to make, sometimes longer, depending upon how how complex it is.
2: Oh, sure. The The day that we dropped blood on me in the studio, fake blood. Yes. nonetheless i that video she took four hours for a mm, four and a half minute video
0: yeah so how long were you covered in sticky fake blood
2: basically the entire four hours
0: so uh yeah if you guys don't know what we're talking about you need to look at brain stuff
2: yeah brainstuffshow.com
0: it's a whole video series where lots of your favorite how stuff works folks uh go on on video and explain different concepts uh,
2: yeah this was blood for science
0: yeah so it was a uh, you know we weren't just dumping blood on her uh for no that, that reason. was
2: that was the excuse I mean, yeah, so we were talking.
0: But anyway, anyway, we don't want to spoil everything. Go check it out.
2: Uh, yes. Um. So. So, yeah, we didn't see a lot more until the 1990s, uh, although for for perspective here, 1988 was the year that, that guidelines were laid out for the creation of data CDs. Previously, compact disc format was a solely audio Data format. Yeah. So. And so um so that's when Phillips and the other kids who were working on developing that kind of thing started getting into full data, getting video in there, and uh so and began the very slow process of that being adopted as a commercial format right. for okay. the home
0: consumer. If you wanted to do something like this uh and you were using an old PC, you'd be limited to uh, floppy disks. And floppy disks could only hold a very tiny amount of video data. Video data is data-hungry, mm-hmm. which is why those optical laser disks were ideal for it. They could store a lot more information than, say, a hard-coded processor, because that's what most arcade games are. They, they have a hard-coded ROM chip, right. which is read-only memory. Most of them have one of those hard-coded ROM chips as part of a... Uh, an entire slide that goes right into the arcade machine and some of them you can swap out for other games other times you know you've got a cabinet that's just dedicated to a game and that's all you got you know you would have to essentially rebuild it if you wanted to put anything else in there working remotely where you are shouldn't dictate what you do work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data wi-fi hotspot with at&t in-car wi-fi Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
1: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or.
0: No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. So, yeah, very much under heavy limitations, and it wasn't until we started getting to this point where you could theoretically create a compact disc that would have video on it, and even then it would take a few years. Meanwhile, we get up to 1990, and that's when full-motion video games started to make kind of a comeback, uh, mostly due to a company called American Laser Games, which re- re- they released in 1990 a game called Mad Dog McCree.
2: Uh, and this one was a live-action video.
0: Yep, cowboys. F&D. Yep, good old uh, shooting bad guys. Uh, you had a grizzly old prospector who was mostly the narrator, <laughs> uh, which, by the way, if you were not fast enough, he would get shot, and you would lose the benefit of having the grizzly old narrator help you along the way. Uh, it was one of those games where if you did well, you got hints on how to progress. And if you didn't have those hints, it would make the game much more difficult to to go through. Uh, but the concept was that uh, you are playing a cowboy known only as the Stranger. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you have to rescue the mayor's daughter, which... Standard issue, right? Yeah. Once again, the damsel in distress, you're the big brawny hero going to rescue her.
2: Uh, you had a gun controller. So. Yes, it
0: was a light gun. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, th- this one was a little different from the ones that was just a button or a button and a and a uh, uh, joystick. In this one, you had a, a light gun. So it would detect when you were pointing the gun at the screen, when you pulled the trigger, and whether or not it was pointing at the right position on the screen for it to count as a hit. So... The interactivity was a little bit better in the sense that you're actually doing stuff, right? If you if you don't shoot the right spot on the screen, you don't progress mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to, you know, just hit a direction and then watch timing. The rest. Yeah. yeah. So not that much different from other light gun games that would follow things like House of the Dead or Time Cops or any of those other light games that would follow in the arcade. Um, and again, this is one of those games where it differentiated itself from the home video game market. Uh, one by using live action and two by the light gun. Uh, these are the things that arcades were investing in because it was getting harder and harder to compete against home video game systems like the Nintendo system and and the rising, the rising, uh, market in computer games. Mm -hmm. So how do you set yourself apart? Well, let's get some hokey actors to play some live action cowboys. The best actor in this, by the way, in my opinion, was the guy who played the, uh, Undertaker. That, that's the character you would see every time you either got shot or you shot a citizen. Um, you would Either of those things counted as the loss of a life. And uh, you would then have a little visit with the Undertaker who would say some sort of vaguely creepy and condescending thing about your performance. And then you would continue on in the game until you ran out of lives. Um,
2: Vaguely creepy and condescending commentary uh, from digital characters is one of my favorite things about video games, I have yeah. like to say. So that's pretty quality. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, American Laser Games made a whole bunch of other stuff in the in the relatively recent future from, from yeah, this. Exactly. Um, they, did, uh, they did Who Shot Johnny Rock?
0: Yeah, <laughs> Gangster. That was a gangster game, an old style, like 1930s gangster style game.
2: Oh, n- none of these new styles. No, not,
0: not gangsta. It wasn't gangsta, it was gangster.
2: Okay. Yeah. Uh, Space Pirates.
0: Uh, oddly enough, it was about, uh, Home Shopping Network. Weird. No, it was actually Sci-Fi Pirates. It,
2: it was yeah. about Space Pirates? Yeah, it was Space Pirates. Okay. And, uh, and this, and this one cracks me up. Gallagher's gallery.
0: Yeah. Now, yeah. now, are you familiar with the comedic genius known as Gallagher?
2: Uh, not the comedic genius known as Gallagher, what? but I'm aware of a comedian known as Gallagher.
0: <laughs> I have had the pleasure of meeting Gallagher. Yeah. At did- CES, because he's now a gadgets commentator guy. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Did he smash anything in your
0: presence? He did not have the Sledge-O-Matic with him, uh, which is probably for the best for everyone who was at CES. <laughs> Uh, he may have had it in his room. He just didn't bring it out on the show floor.
2: It seems like a bad place for it. Yeah.
0: But Gallagher, if you do not know, he's a guy he's known for two things, uh, kind of silly sort of stream of consciousness, absurd humor, like like just weird jokes about things like language, that kind of stuff. And then also the sledge o where he would uh he would pitch a gigantic sledgehammer as if it were a new consumer product that was only good for destroying whatever it was put in front of it. And usually it would end with a watermelon. That was the big one. And so Gallagher's Gallery took advantage of the stratospheric uh, comedic genius of Gallagher. And you were playing as a, a, someone who was holding a, a toy gun. It wasn't supposed to be an actual gun um and firing at various things that Gallagher wanted you to shoot he would actually prompt you and you know you'd see a scene with a lot of stuff in it and you were only supposed to shoot whatever it was Gallagher wanted you to shoot and leave everything else alone uh makes perfect sense i really hope they do make a sequel for uh the what i consider to be the spiritual successor to Gallagher Carrot Top um that would be probably I, I probably shouldn't even mention that. It's no. probably yeah.
2: If you say his name three times, he appears. <laughs> yeah, I
0: think you're right. I think you're right. I never I never look into the mirror and say it. <laughs> um so yeah, again, all of those games used a light gun as the controller. You would have to reload your gun by aiming off screen and pulling the trigger. I hear, by the way, if you ever do encounter one of these old uh games from this company, that if you hold the light controller gun upside down, I'm talking about the actual arcade games. Uh-huh. It'll automatically reload whenever you pull the trigger. So you don't have to aim off screen. Let us us know
2: about this. That that sounds important. Someone go try this and write us in. Yeah, so
0: if you can just uh, just remember to hold the gun upside down the entire time while firing. I have not tried this. uh, I didn't know that. I used to play this game, the Mad Dog McCree game, all the time in the arcades. And I was pretty good at it. I mean, I could get about halfway through. Uh, pretty good for me. I could get about halfway through the game before I, I would have to continue. And th- hey. once I got about the halfway point, uh, it got... The, the difficulty ramped up so quickly that I, I just, just had like, no nope. hope. Yeah. 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 I've seen people play through it though, and it's probably not that hard. It was just harder than I could handle.
2: <laughs> uh these a bunch of these were also released for the 3DO yes. uh home game system when it did come out in nineteen ninety three at the incredibly low price of six hundred and ninety nine dollars. Yeah.
0: It was uh really expensive. I think we might have mentioned it in one of our console episodes the 3DO was an incredibly ambitious game console. You can think of it as a predecessor for things like the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3, and now the the current generation of consoles as well, in that it was supposed to be an entertainment center as well as a video game console. But it was also so expensive, and the games were not considered uh, terribly um, uh, compelling, or, right. or what's another word, uh, good. So it didn't do so well. But yes, uh, 3DO was the other market besides arcade machines at this time. Uh, 1991, we see ne- another game called Time Traveler, and I played this one too. I played a lot of crappy video games when I was a kid. <laughs> um, time Traveler was a little bit, uh, you know, how I was talking about how the light gun games set it apart from the home market. Time Traveler, they also tried to set apart their Con- their arcade machine from what you could get from a home mar- uh, home computer game setup by having a quote unquote holographic display. Now it wasn't a real holographic display. They had a curved mirror, and they used projection so that it looked from your perspective like there to were be these.
2: Three-dimensional.
0: Yeah, these, these, it looked like three dimensional holographic figures, kind of like the uh, the chess pieces in Star Wars. Okay. So it looked like that was what was going on, but it was really all trickery and because, you know, you had to stand in a certain place because that's where the controls were. Mm-hmm. They they knew where the player was going to be, so it made it easier to design this game around that. Uh it was released by Sega. It was designed by Rick Dyer, who was the guy who also designed Dragon's Lair. Okay. Um and uh yeah, it was a uh, you know, basic shoot em up game. You played another cowboy because that was really popular. Apparently the thing. Yeah. I don't remember cowboys being that huge in the early 90s, but I think for one thing, it just made it a compelling kind of uh, protagonist to follow. His character was the Marshall Graham.
2: That's very, okay.
0: I don't think he was a marshal.
2: No, just his name was Marshall. Yeah, his yeah.
0: name was Marshall. Yeah. Uh, and he was fighting the evil scientist Volcor.
2: Volkor! Vol-Gor! Which
0: is, you know typical of a western
2: <laughs> sorry okay like,
0: that's <laughs> it's al- it's almost as good as commander borf um but yeah you had to fight him through time and time would be seven different levels that were uh dating all the way back to prehistoric times to the future you had some choice about which era you would visit next um and you could get uh some interesting other elements to it like uh time reversal cubes which would be something that we would see used in, in other formats and other games. The idea being that you could actually reverse a small segment of time and try a failed action again, rather than having to waste an entire life and start the level over.
2: Ah, like in, like in Bioshock, those, uh, chambers, the...
0: Yeah, or, uh, like in, uh, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, ah, where you mm-hmm. could, you could reverse the last few seconds. The, the, the goal here was that, you know, you would have a whole sequence of events that would unfold in video, and, you couldn't really just plop the player down in the middle of it. You essentially, you you would have divided up times, just again, like DVD chapters. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't just go into the middle of a DVD chapter. You had to go to the beginning. So this way, it could rewind it to a specific point within that little segment, as opposed to having you play the whole segment over yeah, again. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, especially since uh, saved games were not a huge part of the industry at this point in time. And, and
0: this one was an arcade game, so yeah. you were just stuck with, you know, feeding more and more coins into this machine which i did because i was dumb you know lauren when we started this podcast i had no idea that we'd still be talking an hour and nine minutes later
2: uh me neither because uh, i don't see the future yeah Very well, anyway. My future glasses are broken.
0: So we decided, uh, after we recorded an epic episode of Epicness, that it makes sense for us to end here, where we're talking about kind of the end of the arcade era for full motion video. right? And then we can transition into the era of the home video game network for our next episode and talk about all new levels of terrible FMV. So, listeners, stick with us. We're going to, in our next episode, talk about home video games. And, you know, you Sewer Shark fans out there, don't worry. We're going to get you covered. And uh, if you guys have suggestions for any other topics you would like to hear us talk about in the future, send us an email. Our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Twitter, Facebook, or Tumblr. Or handle it all three is techstuffhsw, and we'll talk to you again really soon.